Well, I have a doozy for you this morning. So uh, I I just want to say, as Pastor Malcolm says, this is one of those times where it's going to be easy preaching and hard living, not just for you, but for me. Um, How many of you could say there's probably someone in your life you find difficult to love? Anybody say it's sometimes difficult to love certain people? Ever encountered someone that uh, you just see them from a distance and it makes you want to punch them? Anybody can relate? Okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one. This morning we're going to be talking about that very issue. So before we ever jump into the scriptures, I think it's, uh, I think it's important that we take time to pray. So would you pray with me this morning? Father, we are so thankful that we get to be here in your house. Lord, we thank you for the worship and the worship team that has just ushered us into your presence this morning. Lord, I'm praying right now as we dive into your word that you would speak to us. Lord, you would convict us. Lord, that you would expose those things you want us to see in our own lives. Lord, your word is a mirror. And Lord, I pray that it points out the flaws and the faults. And Lord, help us to correct those under the Holy Spirit's guidance. Lord, be with me this morning. Empower me to preach your gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Um, It's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, I know I know how it is. I know you have already saw the outline. <laughs> Listen, I've been here way too long. I cannot duplicate a Malcolm Carter outline. I've tried and tried, and y'all are just detectives. All right, y'all know, but uh, I, I, I'm praying that God will uh, speak to you. And, uh, you know, pe- uh, be praying for Pastor Malcolm. He's, he's taking a little bit of time of a vacation. I think that's okay. Uh, I think it's okay. Um, be praying for the, he's trying to go fishing. I asked him this morning, I said, how's the weather? He says, we have four foot seas right now, so they haven't been out yet. Um, so pray that it kind of calms down and let him get some fishing time in this morning. Um, but I, earlier I said, have you ever had an enemy? I think, I think uh, many of us in this room have, can agree that there's been people in our life that have kind of done us wrong, that we feel betrayed by, that we feel animosity towards. Uh, when I was in middle school and high school, I had what I considered to be an arch nemesis. His name was Tyler. Tyler Appleby. If you're watching this, Tyler. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so Tyler Appleby. I, don't, I can't even explain why we didn't like each other, but we did not like each other. And every time we saw each other, we would fight. We would either argue or we would just punch each other. I, we just we couldn't stand each other. And I remember in high school... Uh, we went to the skating rink one night, me and one of my older friends. See, when I was in high school, that was the cool thing to do, a skating rink, because there was nothing else to do, right? And so you went to the skating rink. Tuesday nights was dollar skate night, but on Fridays, they kept the, gym, uh, the skating rink open to midnight. And uh, there was a lot of shady stuff that went down at the skating rink. But uh, we'd go to the skating rink. And I had an older friend who just moved to town. He's been there about maybe a month or two. And he's a good-looking guy. You know, I was probably a freshman at the time. He was a, he was a junior, I think, at the time. And we was at the skating rink. And he caught the eye of a, of a young lady skating on a skating rink, and they kept making googly eyes at each other every time she would go around. And finally, he got the courage, and he went up and talked to this pretty girl. And uh, turns out, this girl happened to be my arch nemesis, Tyler Appleby's older brother's girlfriend. And so here I am with my friend, who's talking to his brother's girlfriend, and up comes Tyler with his older brother. I'm like, oh, no. Here it goes. And of course, things escalated and it became a big deal. And they kicked us out of the skating rink and we're in the parking lot. And I'm, I'm saying, call my mama. And so somebody calls, somebody calls my mom 
And let me tell you about my mama. She's five foot tall, but she's a thug. All right. She, she is mean. And, uh, and so she whips in that parking lot in her 1985 two door cutlass. And she jumps out and it's a big old crowd of people in the parking lot. My mom removes her braided belt because she's a child of the seventies, you know, so she pulls off her braided belt, begins to wrap it around her knuckles, ready to square up. <laughs> In the parking lot with all these middle schoolers and high schoolers. And so we jump in the car and we take off. I didn't like Tyler. Every time I saw Tyler, things just escalated. Now, I know you may not have a Tyler in your life, but I'm sure there might be somebody in your life you just do not get along with. Maybe, let's just put it on a shelf, everyone can reach it, because I know divorce is high amongst not just unbelievers, but believers alike. Maybe it's an ex-husband or ex-wife. You just can't stand that person. Maybe, maybe it's a family member that did you wrong. Maybe it's a business partner that did some shady things and now left you with the bill. Maybe it's somebody who has just mistreated you or taken advantage of you, done some things against your will, and now you just think about that person and all you have is ill intent for that person. Can anybody relate to this at all? So Jesus is speaking about this very subject on Luke chapter 6. So I encourage you to get your Bibles. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. This section of Scripture is known as the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest sermon ever preached was preached by Jesus himself in this, in this uh, context. And, and this section that we're going to be looking at today, up until this point, Jesus would have been getting a whole lot of amens. They would have been shouting it down up until this point. They would have been giving them, that's right. Come on, preach it, Jesus. All up until this point. Because up until this point, Jesus was saying things like, blessed are the poor. And blessed are the hungry. And blessed are those who are hated. But then he says, woe to those who are rich. And woe to those who are full. And woe to the social hierarchy, the popular ones. Up until this point, Jesus was talking to his disciples, but in verse 27, he changes his focus from his disciples, and he says to them in verse 27, but I say unto you which hear. So now he's including the crowd. Okay, everybody listening. Everybody can hear my voice. I want you to hear this. And he says this, love your enemies. Now, that's as hard for you to hear as it was for them. Up until this point, the Jewish people would have been saying, yes, amen, amen. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who are hated. Why? Because they were those people. In that crowd were the people who were poor, hungry, and hated. Meanwhile, their enemies, which would mainly be considered probably the Romans, were the ones who were rich, full, and popular. They were the ones in control. And they're saying, yes, get them, Jesus. But then he says, but I'm saying that you who are listening love your enemies. I'm sure the amen stopped. (laughs) And the preach it, Jesus, preach it. I'm sure it went quiet. See, up until this point, it's easy to shout it down when they're talking about others. But when they start talking about you, it gets a little bit touchy. See, the the Jewish people did not like the Romans. The Romans mistreated the Jewish people. They overtaxed them. They treated them unfairly. And so they would look at at the Roman people as their enemies. On top of that... 
The Jewish people had a messed up understanding of holiness and righteousness. They thought the more that you distanced yourself from people who didn't believe like you and act like you and, and worship God like you, the more that you distanced and despised them, the more righteous and holy you became. Let me give you an example. The Pharisees, see, God gave his law, but the Pharisees would add to that law. In total, there were about 613 laws that Pharisees had to follow. That's a lot. That's a heavy burden. They were, they were stuck in what's known as legalism. And so anybody who could not match their, 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 their um, legalistic tendencies, they would uh, ostracize and they would, they would speak against and they would criticize those who couldn't maintain their level of holiness. And so I'm not going to make a theological statement here, but I'm going to use an example. Because I know this, this particular subject is touchy in the Baptist world. So just, just use it as an example, okay? They would take a commandment that God has given, something along the lines of, the scripture says, do not be drunk. Okay? So I, I'm going I'm to break it down for you. And so they would say something like, don't be drunk. Then the Pharisees would come along and they would say, you know what? In order to help us from being drunk, we should never drink. And so they would add to the law. Remember, the, the law says don't be drunk, but then they would say, well, also it says don't drink. I actually have some pretty nifty slides if we get them going. There we go. Una mas por favor. There we go. All right. Then it would say don't drink. So in order to keep us from being drunk, we're never going to drink. But let's take it a step further. The Pharisees would even add to that and say, well, to avoid ever drinking, we have to avoid the places that sell alcohol. So therefore, we will never go to a bar, a sports bars, an Applebee's, or even a Cracker Barrel anymore. Because I don't want to get drunk. Therefore, I avoid places that serve alcohol. Therefore, I can't go to Applebee's anymore. But then they would go a step further and say, you know what, to avoid places that serve alcohol, I have to avoid the things that take place in places that serve alcohol. Therefore, I will not play pool, I will not play cards, I will not sing karaoke, and I will not dance. And this is, I know this is exaggeration, but this is what the Pharisees would do. The main law says don't get drunk, but they've kept adding to it. And then they would get to a point and they would say something like, well, in order to avoid playing pool and cards and singing and dancing and going to Applebee's and drinking, we have to avoid the type of people that do those kind of things. And so ultimately they would say, we're staying away from those people as well. And this is how they view their status as a holy, righteous person. And so they distanced themselves from people and hated the people and despised the people who ever even participated in any of those things because in their mind... It was their way of keeping from getting drunk. It was in their mind their way of keeping from violating God's law. And so they would add to God's law. And here's what Jesus does. Jesus is the one who shakes things up and messes things up and comes around and and flips things upside down. And he was asked a question in Matthew chapter 22. A a, a scribe, a lawyer comes and asks Jesus, remember 613 laws has been given, and he asks the scribe, comes and says, Jesus, what is the greatest law, the greatest commandment ever given? Thinking they're going to trap Jesus and, and get him in some kind of conundrum, and Jesus thinks about this, and in verse 37, in chapter 22 of Matthew, he says to them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. 
On these two, these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What did Jesus do? Well, if you ever read the Ten Commandments, the first four have to do your relationship with God. The last six have to do your relationship with people. He says, okay, the greatest commandment is this. Love God, love people. If you do those two things, you've obeyed the commandments. And so Jesus is flipping everything upside down because up until this point, the Jewish people thought, well, I thought I was holy if I hated people that didn't love God. He says, no. I thought I was holy and righteous if I despised people who did me wrong. Jesus says, no. He says, you are holy and righteous. You are more like me when you love God and love people. When you love your enemy. So let's get back to Luke chapter 6, verse 27. He says, but I say unto you, which hear, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man who, that asketh of thee. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as you would that men should do to you, do you also them likewise. For if you love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them to whom you hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners which uh, to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your rewards shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. You might be thinking that's kind of crazy how they would think that they were somehow holy because they despised people who didn't act and talk and believe like them. But I am want to challenge you Christians to say, isn't that what we do too? We think because somebody lives differently, acts differently, behaves differently, if we isolate and criticize and judge them and make, uh, make a Facebook post about that person or whatever, somehow that elevates our status as a, as a Christian, that elevates our status as a righteous person. They say we, we're very critical of people who aren't like us, aren't we? And that's how they were. So before we can obey this commandment, which Jesus says, love your enemies, we're going to unpack it so we know how to do that. Because how many of you would agree that's going to be very difficult? Would you all agree with that? It's, it's, again, this is one of those things, easy preaching, hard living. It's difficult, but it ain't impossible. Can I encourage you with that? It's difficult, but it's not going to be impossible. All right, in verse 27, I'm going to give you four points today. Number one, he tells us to do the agape thing. The agape thing. By the way, I am not an alliteration wizard. Pastor Malcolm has been giving the anointing of alliteration. I don't know how he does it. He, he's like a Dr. Seuss. I don't know how he comes up with the things he comes up with, but he's very talented. And I strain and struggle. And then finally, I just give up and I say, you know what? They're going to get it no matter how it comes. So number one, do the agape thing. In verse 27, he says, I say unto you, which here, love your enemies. Love your enemies. There is three common words in the Greek language for love. In the English language, we're so, we're so dumb. We have one word. I love ice cream. I love grandma. I love fishing. I love my wife. I love, I love 
Applebee's. <laughs> I love karaoke. All right. So there's all these things I love. I love. I love. And obviously my love for my wife is not equal to my love for ice cream, except for Briar's mint chocolate chip. It's kind of close. <laughs> it's very similar. But our love is not equal. Right. When we say I love grandma and I love I love sunsets, it's two different types of love. Right. Well, in the Greek, they would have multiple words for the word love. One word was the word eros, eros, which is a passionate love. It's where we get the word erotic. Mm. Mi amor. <laughs> Muy bonita. Uh, so it was a kind of love you have for husband and wife. It's that special, intimate kind of love. And then you have the word phileo. This is a friendly, brotherly love. It's where you get the word Philadelphia. What is Philadelphia? The city of brotherly love. And so you have the word phileo in Greek. And then ultimately you would have the word agape. Agape. This is the type of love in which God has loved us. It is a sacrificial love. It's an unconditional love. It's a love that gives without expecting anything in return. That's the kind of love in which God has loved us. And that's the kind of love he speaks here in, 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 in verse 27 where he says, love your enemies. He says to love them with this agape kind of love where you give without expecting anything in return. And if we're honest, to love your family in the same way you love your enemy, whew, it's tough, isn't it? To, to love your children with the same kind of love that you're supposed to love your enemy, the one who has betrayed you, the one who has hurt you, the one who has stabbed you in the back? How, God, are we going to do that? How are we supposed to achieve this, Lord? Because the way you love your family, the way you love your wife, it just happens. It's not something you can help. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, falling in love? How many of you have ever fell on purpose? <laughs> See what I'm saying? When you fall, it's never on purpose. Unless you're trying to collect a check from Walmart or something. You're slipping on a wet something. But usually it's on accident. And so falling in love is something that just happens. You can't control it. It's something that happens out of the heart. To love your enemies is not going to happen natural. It doesn't come from the heart. It comes from the will. You have to ask for it. You have to practice it. You have to pursue it because it doesn't happen naturally. It has, to be, it has to be something that comes from the Lord because otherwise it ain't going to happen. And the only way we're ever going to love our enemies is to see them the way God sees them. How does God see our enemies? Well, he sees them as his creation, doesn't he? In the beginning, how does he create them? He creates people in what? His image. And so that person that we despise, that person who has done you wrong, that person who has betrayed you was created in the image of God. Not only that, but in John 3, 16, what do we see? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So not only that, but he sees them as an object of his love. It's hard to believe, right? Those evil, mean people that we despise and hate are an object of God's love. And on top of that, there are people who are needing deliverance. Why did he send his son? Because he is trying to offer them eternal life. In other words, they needed redemption. And so these people we despise and ostracize and reject and and distance ourselves from are God's creation created in his own image. They're an object of his love and they're in needing of redemption. What if we viewed people that way? 
No matter what they've done. No matter their history. No matter their, their record. If you read verses 27 through 36, you'll see Jesus gives us seven ways to treat our enemies. And these are the ways he gives us. He says, number one, to love them. I got another nifty little slide for us, too. All right. Getting there. There it is. Okay. Seven ways to treat your enemies. If you read through 27 to 36, he gives you seven ways. He says to love them, do good to them, bless them, pray for them, give to them. Treat them equally. Actually, it says, as you would that men should do to you, do you also likewise to them? In other words, treat them fairly. Treat them equally. And then be merciful to them. That's how he says to treat those who've mistreated you. Lord, how? How? You know what they did to me, God? You know how they violated my trust? You know what they did to my child? Do you know what they've done to my emotional stability? Do you know what they've done to me financially, Lord? And you want me to pray for them and love them and do good to them and bless them, Lord? You're crazy. Can't I just not acknowledge their existence and we be good? No. Matter of fact, I want to challenge y'all with something. Are y'all ready for a challenge? All right, everybody with me? Everybody with me? Okay, I want to challenge you real quickly. This is what I want you to do. I'm going to put that same slide up in just a second, but I'm going to leave a blank. And so right now, I want you to think about one person, the one person that comes to mind. This whole time I've been talking, that one person or individuals, maybe it's multiple people that come to your mind when I start thinking about and talking about your enemy, those who betrayed you, those who have violated your trust, those who have have hurt you and scarred you in some way. I'm going to put a blank up here and everywhere you see the blank, I want you to read it silently in your head, but put their name in that blank. Okay, y'all ready? Here's the challenge. Here we go. You need to love. Do good to. Bless. Pray for. Give to. Treat equally. And be merciful to. Makes it personal, doesn't it? And this is what Jesus says. He comes on a scene and says... People love your enemies. He didn't qualify who it was, what it was, what they did. He didn't say love your enemies unless they did. Love the people everywhere unless they have committed. No, he just says love your enemies, right? You might say, Brother Andrew, that's impossible. You're, calling, you're asking me to do something completely impossible. How am I going to do this? It's not impossible. It's hard. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, we have what is known as the fruit of the Spirit. If you're a believer in Christ, guess what you have inside of you? The Holy Exactly. And that Holy Spirit will enable you, empower you to do what we consider to be the impossible. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23, you have what is known as the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, as you come under surrendering to the Holy Spirit, as you're under His guidance, as you're being led by Him, what will naturally occur is it begins to produce fruit in your life. 
Now, many of us try to manipulate this fruit. The best you can do by manipulating fruit in your life is hang it on you like a Christmas ornament. But as soon as something difficult happens, it just shakes off your limbs. You, you, can't, you can't fake fruit. You grow fruit. And so it only happens through the surrendering of the Holy Spirit. As you surrender the Holy Spirit, these are the fruits of the Spirit that take place. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. So I wonder, I wonder, if, if we lived under the guidance and surrendering of the Holy Ghost, what would happen? Well, look, look, look up here. The Holy Spirit gives us love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. I wonder if we were doing that daily, living under His guidance daily, if we would then be able to love them, do good to them, bless them, pray for them, give to them, treat them equally, and be merciful to them. Do you think it would be possible? Again, doing what Christ has called you to do is not impossible. It's just hard. I'm not, I'm not going to bury the lead. This isn't going to be easy. Because I'm sure every one of you have a story of how someone has wronged you. And I'm, sorry, I'm sure some of your stories are absolutely heartbreaking. And that person, when they come to your mind, it does nothing but break you and wreck you. And, and cause you mental anguish because you just come to remember everything that they have done. You might think, Brother Andrew, you say I can do this, but how do you know this is possible? Because Jesus Christ, as he's hanging on a cross with nails in his hands and feet, looking down onto the people who have betrayed him, the people who have nailed him to a cross, the religious people who have falsely accused him, he looks down on them, and from the cross he cries out, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. How could someone in his dying last breath ask for forgiveness for his enemies? Because the Spirit. Well, that's Jesus. Jesus can do things I can't do. That's a bad, a bad example, Andrew. Well, fast forward to Acts chapter 7. Let me introduce you to a man named Stephen. And you get to Stephen, here he is on his knees having stones thrown at him and trying, people trying to kill them. And all of a sudden, Stephen cries out with his last breath and he says, he says, Father, do not charge them with this sin. In other words, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. It's not impossible. It's just hard. And Jesus would never tell you to do anything that you could not do. So number one, he tells us to do the agape thing, love unconditionally. Number two, he tells us to do the positive thing. Positive things. Remember, we just, we just covered these words. Jesus tells us seven things to do for our enemies. He tells us to love, do good, bless, pray, give to, treat equally, be merciful. And these, these traits all have positive aspects to them. See, popular, popular sayings during this time in Jesus' time frame were, were, were like these philosophers and poets. They would come and they would say things like this. So there's a man named, named Philo. He would say this. He would say, what you hate to suffer, do not do to anyone else. So what you hate to suffer, don't do to anyone else. A Socrates, he says, what things make you angry when you suffer them at the hands of others, do not do to other people. Jewish rabbis would say, what is hateful to you, do not do to another. Now, I don't know if you picked it up, but all these things are formed in the negative. In other words, when you've been done wrong, don't do wrong to someone else. You're resisting doing something. Now, I can be honest with you. I can resist the urge to punch someone. 
I can do it. Done it before. But to offer them a helping hand, that's difficult. I can resist the urge to give someone the middle finger when they're driving like a moron. But to let them back over in my lane, that's difficult. By the way, yes, by the way, if you ever see my wife, she's not, she don't come to first service and she's probably not watching anyways. She, she's so cute. She is cute. Boy, I love her. And everybody thinks, oh, she's so holy. Let me, let, me, let me just pull back the curtain a little bit. There is one day I was doing something and picking on her or doing something, and I just look over and she does this. I, th- I was like, she's trying to cast a spell on me or something. I don't know what she's doing, but she's doing this at me. I said, what, what is that? And she, <laughs> she's going to be so angry. So, you know, you, you, got a, you got a bird on each finger. She said, this is a whole flock of them. So, yeah. So that is her way. If you ever see her from a distance and she's doing this to me, that's not her being all cute and like, hey. That's her being like, all right. (laughs) Just so you know, I probably won't tell that story in second service. (laughs) She'll be here. But I I can resist the urge to do this to someone. I can, I can resist the urge to throat punch someone when they're acting a fool, but to pray for their good, that's something totally different, isn't it? Now, I know I'm exaggerating a little bit, but this is the truth of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, I'm not telling you to resist from doing evil to them. He's saying, I'm asking you to go out of your way to do good for them. Well, that's totally different, isn't it? I'm not, I'm not telling you to hold back. I'm telling you to move in. See, Jesus, again, he's countercultural. He does everything upside down, inside out, and backwards. We think we're good enough if we just never make contact with that person. It's good enough if I just never think about that person. It's good enough if I just avoid confrontation with that person. But Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm calling you to do. I'm asking you to pursue them, love them, do good to them, pray for them, bless them, treat them equally, be merciful to them. I'm not asking you to hold back. I'm asking you to push in. It's easy to keep from doing harm to others, but to go out of your way to do good for them? That's different. And you truly don't love your enemies until you do that, and that's hard to say. That's so hard to say. So he says to do the positive thing. Number three, he tells us to do the extra thing. Look in verses 29. Through 36, he says, Unto him that smiteth thee on one cheek, offer also the other. And to him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as you would that men should do to you, do you also likewise to them. For if you love them which love you, what thank have ye for sinners? Also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good, 
and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest. For He is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Your ethics as a believer is based on doing the extra thing. What is ethics? i got a definition for you. Ethics is the moral principles that govern a person's behavior are the conducting of an activity. The moral principles that govern a person's behavior are the conducting of an activity. Your ethics as a believer are in, are in doing the extra thing. It's interesting that in verses 32 to 34, Jesus is basically saying the easy thing, the ordinary thing is to love people that love you back. That's easy. The easy thing is to give to people who's going to give it back. I can do that. That's not anything special. The extra thing, what makes you stand apart, what makes you go above and beyond is to love those who won't love you back. To give to those who will not return. To go the extra mile for those who take advantage. That's the extra thing. That's the thing that sets you apart. And so often we measure how good we are, or how nice of a person we are by, by someone else. We measure ourselves compared to someone else. Yeah, compared to Charles Manson, you might be a pretty good dude. But how do you measure up to God? Because that's really who we're compared to, right? How do you love others compared to how he loves others? Because it's not our neighbor who we compare ourselves with. It's with, the God, with God and his standards for our life. And, and here's the thing. Love makes you do crazy things. What do you mean? There's a time in your life. How many of y'all married? Raise your hand if you're married. There was a time in your life where you did everything you could to woo that person. Am I right? You would do some crazy things. Guys... You would go out of your way to do some of the most ignorant things. Let's go watch a sunset. Let's get a blanket, some Ritz crackers and cheese. Let's go park somewhere and watch a sunset. And you're trying to be romantic and suave. How many sunsets have you watched since you've been married? None. But I'm serious. Love makes you do crazy things. When me and Tracy first started dating... um, I'd come off a series of relationships, and I was praying. I said, God, I'm done. I'm just going to wait for you. So God introduced me to Tracy. And so me and her, I liked her, and I wanted to take her on a date. And so I asked her, I said, Tracy, would you like to go to the movies with me? And she says, yeah. you got to ask my daddy first. (laughs) Now, I had never done that before. And on top of this, her daddy was my youth pastor. And so... I call him Brother Steve. To this day, I still call him Brother Steve. And so I called up Brother Steve. I said, hey, Brother Steve, uh, I was wanting to take Tracy on a date one night to the movies or something. Is, is that okay with you? He says, well, brother. That's how we talk. I'm not making it up. That's like, well, brother, I think that would be fine. Uh, just let me know who's chaperoning. <laughs> chaperoning. And so uh, I, that's new to me, too. And so her older brother ended up going on our date. Him in the back seat, me and Tracy in the front seat. It was awkward. It was uncomfortable. And I didn't enjoy any of it. And then we were in a relationship for a little bit. And I realized we have never kissed. I'm going to get PG-13, okay? Kissed. And I'm thinking, what's wrong? I'm pretty irresistible. (laughs) 
I mean, certainly by now, we should have kissed. And then we bring up the conversation. I actually, we talk about it. And this is what she tells me. She says, actually, I've been praying about that, and I feel convicted that I think I want to wait till our wedding day for my first kiss. <laughs> yeah, all. You said all. I said, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, shucks. Uh, so I'm in a dilemma. I'm in a dilemma. I, and, and I know you're thinking I'm pretty shallow, but I'm like, this might be a deal breaker. I, I mean, I'm not even trying to, I'm, I'm like this, I don't know if I can do that. And I legitimately prayed about this. I said, God, I don't know if I can do that. And this is what God spoke in my heart that very moment. He says, Andrew, you have dated so many girls where you expected them to lower their standards for you. But now I'm bringing you a girl where I'm expecting you to raise your standards to her. And he says, so um, I just got one question. Is she worth it? I thought about it. I said, yeah, she worth it. We dated three and a half years. And our first kiss was on our wedding day. Now, I say that. Not to be braggadocious, because I tried everything I could to sneak a kiss in before that wedding day. <laughs> I, I tried every trick. I went sunset, sitting on blankets, eating Ritz crackers. None of that worked. <clears throat> Thankfully for her, she had a lot more willpower than I did, but our wedding day was our first kiss. Now, I say that because love makes you do crazy things, doesn't it? And love can actually make you want to love people who've done you wrong. And the world may not understand it. The world may not compute it. They may not look natural because it's not natural. It's supernatural. To love those who have mistreated you and violated you and wronged you is not easy, but it's possible. And Jesus says to us, he says, I'm going to ask you to turn the other cheek. He says in verse 29, unto him that smiteth thee on one cheek, offer also the other. Now, I want you to understand something. Jesus isn't saying be a don't, don't, he said, don't let anybody mistreat you. That's not what he's saying. I always misunderstood what Jesus was saying here. As if he's saying, if somebody does you wrong, don't, don't, don't defend yourself. That's not what he's saying here. Matter of fact, in, in, in Luke's gospel, chapter 22, verse 36, he tells his disciples to go buy a sword if they didn't already have one. That's what he tells his disciples to do. Peter, remember when Jesus was getting arrested? What did Peter do? He pulled out his and chopped the dude's ear off. Peter kept that thing on him. All right? He stayed strapped. He had it with him all times. Je- Jesus is not saying don't defend yourselves. Don't get pushed around or get pushed around, be bullied. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this. Matter of fact, Jesus at one moment, let me, let me talk about this. Jesus was being interviewed by the high priest. And as he, this is at his trial before the crucifixion. And they're asking him questions and they slap him. And Jesus, this is what he says. He says, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? In other words, in modern day language, this is what Jesus said. He says, hit me if I deserve it. Otherwise, keep your hands off of me. He didn't say, get slapped and turn his cheek and say, thank you, man. May I have another? No. He says, if I done wrong, I deserve it. But if I didn't do anything wrong, keep your hands off of me. So what is Jesus saying in this moment when he says, turn the other cheek? Well, he's saying this. If you have been mistreated, don't seek out revenge. Don't look for retaliation. Don't try to come at them the same way they came at you. Don't be like the man who was told by his doctor, 
after they ran some tests that he did, in fact, have rabies. And the man pulled out a piece of paper and a pen and began to write. And the doctor is thinking that this man was writing out his will, so he's trying to comfort him and say, listen, man, we, we actually have cure for rabies. We can give you some shots. Everything's going to be okay. And the man says, oh, I know. I'm just making a list of people I'm going to bite. All right? So we don't need to seek out revenge. We seek out to do their good. Here's the thing. <laughs> this is where we really have to fight our flesh because our flesh wants vengeance. Our flesh wants revenge. Our flesh, when we say pray for our enemies, the way you want to pray is, Lord, make their wheels fall off on the interstate. That, that's, that's, that's how you want to pray. Our flesh wants nothing but their evil and wants nothing but to see them destroyed and wants to see them disappear. But the Spirit says, no, chase after their highest good. Pursue them, bless them, be merciful to them, treat them equally. The goal is to love them. And that is hard. How are we going to do this? Well, the fourth thing is this. Do the God thing. Do the God thing. I think everything kind of comes to the, to the surface in verses 35 and 36. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. evil. Be therefore merciful as who? As your Father also is merciful. You know why you should treat your enemies well and love them well and bless them and, and pray for them and give to them. You know why? Because that's exactly what God did for you. It's exactly what He did for you. He says, you are never more like me than, you love, than when you love those who don't love you back. Because think about this. Did you always love God? Did you always know Jesus was there a time in your life where you were far from Him? Anybody? Was there ever a time in your life where you were far from Him? Well, can I tell you, even in that moment, He still loved you. And here's, here's James chapter 4, verse 4. I want to put it on a screen for you because I want you to see this. James chapter 4, verse 4. He says, You adulterous and adulteresses, you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. At one point in your life, you were shaking hands with the world. You were a friend of this world. Therefore, if you were a friend of this world, that made you a what of God? An enemy of God. God loved his enemies. In Romans 5, 8, it says, For God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. At your worst, at your furthest, at your most despicable, sinful nature, he sent, he bankrupted heaven with the most precious thing there, sent his son down to this earth to then rescue you from your sin. That is a love for an enemy there. Rescued you. He is kind to the man who brings him joy, and he's equally kind to the man who grieves his heart. God love embraces both the sinner. God love also embraces the saint. It is the love that we must copy when we go and show it to this world. Why? Because the world is watching you, and they want to see how you love and treat others. And can I tell you, we're doing a very poor job of it, because this world knows more about what we're against than what we're for. 
And this world is watching what believers, when believers love like God does and shows kindness and shows mercy to those who don't deserve it, they are giving evidence to the watching world that we have a good father and a good God. And they're going to eventually say, I want to know this good father and I want to know this good God. And and Jesus gave us clear instructions. He says, you want to know how this world is going to know that you are my disciple? It's not because you have a Christian bumper sticker on the back of your Prius. All right, it's not because you wear a cross necklace. It's not because you have a black Bible with gold letters with your name on the front of it. It's not because you wear a Christian t-shirt. It's not because you went and saw the movie God's Not Dead and you sent a few text messages after the movie was over. That is not how the world knows that you are a believer, that you are my disciple, that you are my follower. In John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, Jesus is speaking to his, uh, to his disciples. He says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He says, By this all men will know that you are my disciple. If you have love one to another, he says, listen, you want to know how people are going to know that you are my disciple It's not by your church attendance. It's not by your tithe check. It's not by anything. He says the trademark of a disciple of Christ is your love. We measure our Christianity by so many things except love. Christ, he don't care about any of that other stuff. He says, how do you love people? How are you loving those who have betrayed you and hurt you? And, and, and here's the sad reality. I've been in the church world long enough. And what has truly disturbed me is that the most intense hatred that I've ever come in contact with are from religious church people. It's sad. It's so sad. They have the illusion of virtue. They have the illusion of righteousness. But the only thing they are is a religious sinner. Pastor Malcolm has said it before, and it is so true. There is not one alcoholic, one drunk, one outsider that gives two hoots about us having a coffee shop in our foyer. But you know who does? Church people. During our VBS, we had over 300 kids in this auditorium. That Sunday night, we brought in this really awesome team to come and put on this full, like the whole stage was covered up, all these games and activities, and it was interactive for the families, and it was an amazing event. Several salvations came from that event. We posted some pictures, and someone went out of their way to comment on one of the pictures, is this a church or a Broadway show? Why would they say something like that? Because in their mind, they thought, I'm defending the church. I'm speaking for God. God does not like this, therefore I'm going to make people know about it. God ain't interested in that. How do you love people? Here's what I'm trying to say. I know there's a place for fire and brimstone preaching. I know there's a time when John the Baptist came out of the wilderness like a crazy man wearing camel's clothes, eating honey and locusts, saying to the people all around him, repent, repent for the kingdom of God is coming. I know there is need for that. But there's also, I read the scriptures and I see that Jesus ate with sinners. And I read the scriptures and I see that Jesus spent time at the well with a woman who had a very scandalous reputation. And also, though, there's a time where Jesus was in the house of Simon the Pharisee, and this, this sinful woman came and washed his feet, crying over his feet, washing his, his feet with the hairs on her head and the tears from her eyes. I also know that Jesus broke bread with Judas. Your Christianity means nothing if you don't have love. Paul even said that. You can have every spiritual gift, but if you don't have love, it means nothing. 
Church, I'm not, I'm not denying it's hard. I'm not denying the fact that I fail at this. I'm terrible at this. I'm not going to be up here pretending to have it all together when I know I have dropped the ball time and time again showing love to those who... And you might be sitting in your seats thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me because you just don't understand the hurt that this person has caused. Listen, I had a family member that took advantage of my little sister. And I despised him. Did not like him. I was forced to be around him growing up. And all I could feel is my blood boil, knowing what he had done. As I got older, I went to seminary, I was in ministry. Never once, never once did I share the gospel with this person. Because in my mind, he deserved everything that was coming. What he did, did not merit forgiveness. And then he died. And now I'm broken. Because I realize I deserve hell just as much as he did. And I didn't deserve forgiveness any more than he did. I know, church, it is hard. And I know there's a, various, a variety of stories in this place about how people have done you wrong. And hearing a message being told you're supposed to love your enemies and do good to them and bless them and pursue them and pray for their good. And you're like, how can I do that? You can't. You need the Holy Spirit and His strength because it's impossible in your own. And one thing I want to make clear is that forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Forgiveness only requires one party, while reconciliation requires two. You can forgive someone without ever having to ever be in a relationship with them. Forgiveness is more for you than it is for them anyways. And so if someone has wronged you, violated you, betrayed you, done you, done you dirty, stabbed you in the back, whatever, fill in the blank. You've been carrying a grudge for 30 plus years against an individual and that person probably don't even know you're still angry. And here you are drinking poison, hoping they die and they don't they don't care. And so I want to challenge you, church, this morning. Let's be practitioners of love. And some of you. Maybe this is a time for healing because I can guarantee you that love is the key that will unlock the jail of hatred and animosity and bitterness and hurt and pain. And today I'm going to challenge you, church, to choose love. And so in this moment, I'm going to ask everyone to stand. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. I know this wasn't a very evangelistic message, but this is one of those messages that just kind of easy preaching, hard living. So maybe you're in this place today, and, and, and the whole time I've been preaching, you just have an individual or a couple individuals that keep circulating through your mind. And maybe you're thinking, this is going to be hard. This is going to be impossible. I can't do this. Don't be like me. Don't be like me. Don't, don't wait too long before you give forgiveness. You might believe that everything that's coming to them, they deserve it. But can I tell you, everything that was coming to you, you deserved it too. Yeah. 